This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here with you. I am in the studio with Pastor Craig Jarvis. Hello. And uh, welcome to our Wednesday episode where we take all of your questions from our sermons this past week. This past Sunday, Craig and I sought to answer the question with finality once and for all, Mm. if God is all good and powerful, then why does he allow evil saying pain and suffering? (laughs) Craig, stab it. Uh, (laughs) He's making fun of me. So, uh, Craig, why don't you just give us an overview of uh, maybe what you talked about, big picture, and we'll say 30 seconds or less. Go for it. So if God is a good God, why does he allow pain and suffering? That's what we talked about. This is an age-old question. Like, why does a good God allow evil into the world? Very difficult question to answer, especially because it treads on people's personal space a lot. We said at Village Church East, everybody has their own vase full of suffering, you know, and we hide it away. We share it with some people. We don't share it with others. But everybody, when they ask us, get a, how are you doing? I'm doing fine kind of deal. But every one of us deals with suffering either in our own lives, families' lives, or in the world around us in some way. It touches us all. So this is a very difficult topic to talk about because of the personal nature of it. And it's a question that I think everyone needs to ask inevitably. It's fair. It's a fair question. It's a biblical question. Actually, it is one of those things where you can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. And if you are a Christian, someone is inevitably going to ask you from mm-hmm. either a philosophical perspective, like, hey, Christian, give me an answer for this, or a deeply personal perspective when they're in the middle of pain and suffering. Like, mm-hmm. Why did God allow this? Why didn't he, you know, why didn't he stop it? It's a fair question. Every person, when they hear this, is personally struggling with their question in their own way. Yep. Because very few times do we get clarity as to all of the reasons mm-hmm. why God is actually doing something. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So we got questions, uh, a bunch of them today. So for the sake of efficiency, I say we, uh, we press in. Plotting forward. First question. Isn't the reason we have bad things in the world a consequence of our sin, even going back to Adam and Eve? Absolutely. There's two levels to why. Okay. So the first level is, okay, Why do you have a black eye? Well, because I got in a fight. Why did you get in a fight? Well, because I was a jerk. And at the end of the day, we can actually look around and and say evil, pain, and suffering is here because of demonic forces and human forces, because of decisions that we make and the reverberations of those decisions. That's easy. I can look at somebody who got a D on their test and for the most part say, well, you got a D because you didn't study, Mm -hmm. you know, or something of the sorts. There's a bigger question, which is, okay, globally— If God is good and all-powerful and he could stop it, why doesn't he? And so the analogy I gave at Bartlett was if there is a dad who sees his son or daughter is about to do something or have something happen to them that's catastrophic, and that dad has the ability to stop it and doesn't, then that dad is culpable and there's something wrong with that dad. And that's the framework that actually I think a lot of non-Christians view the question as. Mm. Their assumption is they have the moral high ground, something's wrong with God, but I do think it's actually, it's a question that I understand. I get it. Like God has the ability to stop things Mm. and he chooses not to. He has the power not to and he chooses not to. And so this question is, isn't the reason we have bad things in the world a consequence of sin? And that's the easy answer on the ground. But here's an example. You have two people. Let's say they're twins, same DNA, same home, same parents, et cetera. 
and one of them becomes a Christian and the other doesn't. Why? Why did God save one and not the other? Or why did God save this person after they had done a whole bunch of different things and he could have saved them before they did a whole bunch of dumb things? Mm. Why is it that two people can both commit the same crime, one goes to jail for 20 years and the other gets off in parole? Mm. Why is it two people— They live in Illinois and know the politicians. <laughs> right? Exactly. You know? <laughs> It's so sorry, good. That's sorry, so, sorry. No, that was that was like for all the people not in Illinois. They're like, what's wrong with Illinois? <laughs> Everything. You know the politicians, right? <laughs> so, but yes, bad things happen because of sin. But why did God not stop them? And this is the territory that we talked about at Bartlett. The moment you try to give God's reasons for why He does or doesn't, you start embarking upon territory where you're surmising. There's another side of the question, though, which is. How does God redeem them? How does God use them? Those are very different categories. That's a different question. So if something happens to me because of sin, let's, for example, say um, I live in Rwanda and I have experienced civil war that is of proportions no American can truly understand. I can look at this and say this happened because of sin and evil men and Satan. Mm -hmm. I can also ask the question, why didn't God stop it? But there's another level, which is God will use it. God will redeem it. God Mm -hmm. will make it right. He will sanctify me. He will expose me. He will transform me. All that stuff that God will use because of suffering. But this middle question of why didn't he stop it even though he could? You know, I just came back to Deuteronomy 29, 29, said the secret things belong to the Lord. And when Job tried to get the answer, the Lord basically said, shut your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. You're out of your league. Mm. And that's where, you know, we kind of landed. So yes, the reason is bad things. But I would even pose a bigger question. Why didn't God stop you from the bad things? but he did stop other people. There's there's a bigger thing happening here, which I don't really have clarity to. So one other part of that, I know it's a huge question because it, it has so many tentacles that lead in so many different directions. But one, sure does. one part of this is, I think that people sometimes miss, well, I would say, I think, and you would say that God uses pain and suffering in our lives. And one of the main reasons is to learn a deeper dependence on him to learn a deeper understanding of him. That's what we learned through Job. Job went through the pain and suffering so that at the end of the book, God could kind of bring him into this courtroom. And Job's question was not, why does God do bad things? He was asking, why is God doing bad things to me? Mm -hmm. And so the answer to that is, well, we may not know the full answer to that, but one of the answers to that is so that we can learn a deeper dependence on him because the last three chapters of the book of Job, that is exactly what God was doing. He was helping Job understand a deeper level of faith. Now he lost his health, he lost his kids, he lost his house, he lost his land, he lost everything. But at the end of it, it's interesting, the first verse in the book of Job, it introduces Job as a righteous person. At the end of it, Job is in the same category. He's a righteous person because he understands a deeper level of God. Even though he was righteous at the beginning, he didn't understand that aspect of God. It took him through all of that Mm -hmm. suffering and pain for him to learn that deeper dependence on God. But is that why God allowed him to suffer? That's one of the reasons. Right. We don't know that that's the reason, but we know that's one of the reasons. One of the things I talked about on Sunday was you may get a glimpse into a reason that God allowed, ordained, or permitted your personal suffering. Mm. But even the glimpse that you get is probably less than 1% of the totality of the motive Agreed. and the reason of what's going on. And you'll only make yourself crazy Correct. if you're trying to figure out what God is doing, because yeah. most of the time he doesn't tell you why. Like, here's a small example. I'm going to make up a scenario. Somebody goes through a traumatic pain and loss, and in the process of that pain and loss, they are transformed. They know God better. The Lord walks with them through suffering, and they think, you know, the reason I went through this is because of that. 
well, 45 years down the road, uh, they enter into a ministry that is focused on pain and loss in that specific area. And that ministry blossoms into something else. And what they don't know is all the people they've touched personally in that ministry have also been able to minister to so many other people. And at the beginning, you're like, why? Well, the totality of the why will play itself out over an entire lifetime. And even that, if you could take all the stories and aggregate them together, you're still not getting the full glimpse of what God's doing. Which brings us to the second question, which I, I just appreciate the candor of the people asking these questions. And this was to me. So is saying the answer to why there's evil in the world is a, quote, secret thing. That's from Deuteronomy 2929. Isn't that a cop out? And. OK, it sounds like it for sure. There is literally no worldview that gives a good answer to this question. No, absolutely not. There's no answer that's going to be like, oh, I'm all in. Yeah, I you- totally understand why God sits back and allows the Holocaust to exist, and he could have stopped it, and he didn't. Yeah, because no matter how you answer it, you put God in a bad light. And whatever God does is good. You cannot get away from that foundational truth. So when you try and answer a question you don't have an answer for, you make God sound foolish. Correct. Most of humanity puts themselves on the moral high ground, and they make God give an answer. And that's an inversion. Like, we would never, ever, ever go to court, have a judge cast on a ruling, and then say— um, actually, you need to listen to me, your honor, right? Like, never would we do that. You, you might in this culture. Well, maybe in this culture. But then you know what happens? Your honor has all of That's the right. authority That's to right. say, goodbye, goodbye, go to jail. So, okay, I get it that you want an answer. There are some people who need to know the why. In fact, this is leadership theory, philosophy 101. Like, if you don't lead with the why, nobody will follow you. Okay. Well, why should I follow God when he gives me no why? He just says, trust me. You've got to live in this quandary on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Where was God before the world began? He never says it. All he says is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you take a leap of faith in that you understand who God is in the revelation that he's given to you in the word of God and through Jesus Christ, through creation around you. I mean, God has gone to extreme lengths to tell us and help us understand who he is. But on some things, he's not going to tell us why. And that doesn't make him a bad God. It doesn't make him unfair. Like you said, I think all we're saying is we want to define God as we would want God to behave. The other part of this is in Scripture, there are literally thousands of Scriptures that tell us who God is in the suffering. Mm. It doesn't tell us why the suffering happens. It only tells us who he is in the suffering. Read basically any one of the Psalms. Open the Bible, put your finger down, and you'll find a Psalm that talks about who God is in the suffering. I mean, one of our favorites, Psalm 23, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus said, I have to go back to the heaven so that you can have the comforter. It's important for us to know that Jesus walks through us in our pain. And every godly person in scripture that goes through suffering, rarely are they told why. Job is never told why. Paul is never told why. Three times he prayed that this thorn would go out of his side. Take it away from me, anything. And he's never told why. He just says, your grace is sufficient for me. And these words are from Paul as well. And I think this helps us because we get to understand in scripture, God doesn't necessarily give us the why. It's happening now, but he tells us lots of reasons how we can handle it and what we can see to come. Yep. There's always hope. Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians 4.16. This is from Paul. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
for this light momentary affliction. And that's kind of funny coming from Paul because he had regular long time affliction, but he calls it this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not only to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. They come and they go, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And God in his mercy gives us these glimpses into eternity and reminds us that the suffering in this world, remember revelation, he said all morning crying, suffering, no pain anymore. All that is going to be gone for the former things that passed away. So God may not give us an answer as to why we're going through it now, but I think you said this in your message. I love this. Uh, he doesn't waste our pain. There's a reason for it. And he gives you us hope I said it. He didn't listen to you. And he gives us hope in it. And he gives us hope for what's to come. The next question is, how does James 1 fit into this? James 1, uh, 2 through 4 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Yep. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So is, is the whole point of evil and suffering so that the people of God lack nothing? It's a part of it. Yeah. Right. And I think there are ways God uses and redeems. No suffering goes to waste. No yeah. attack from the evil one will ever just land. It will always be counterpunched with something better, mm -hmm. you know? But that still doesn't answer the question of he could stop it, mm -hmm. but he doesn't. And maybe this is the totality of the reason. I just don't sense in Scripture that this is always the reason. Like, I'm trying to figure out why genocide in Africa. Like, how does that sanctify? You know what I mean? Like, there are other ways to accomplish it that are way less evil. Like, so is that the only way God can do it? We kind of be careful that we don't miss the overarching reason for all of this, and that is that the whole world, not just us, but the whole world groans under the weight of our sin. Right. So creation is suffering. Every time there's a tsunami, it's the world hiccuping in ways that it's not meant to, you know, yeah. and lives get wiped out. Can God stop that? Absolutely. But it's important for us to remember none of this would be occurring were it not for the weight of our sin weighing down on the world and on yeah. so us. Let me, let me poke, okay? What I don't want to do is let anyone off the hook, myself or you included. So let's just think about God's character for a moment. It is Genesis 1. He knows the future. He knows everything. He made and created and designed Satan, knowing what he would do, knowing a third of the angels would fall. He made Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, allowed Satan to land in the garden, goes for a walk, leaves them alone, uh, knowing the repercussions. Jesus, Re Revelation says, is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world, that even when God made the world, he already made it with the understanding that a savior is going to have to happen, mm. um, that sin was going to be there. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. so we can say, yes, that there is evil and pain in the world because of our sin. Absolutely. What I want to do is say, that's not good enough for me. Um, I want to push the question further because God can't, it's not just that he can stop it. He created it knowing it. At this point though, any, this is my perspective, mm -hmm. retort, feel free. Planning yeah. on it. I'm setting myself up I know up you for are. I know you are. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to set you up to fail. Any answer someone gives is surmising at best. Wrong at worst. Agreed. I think we've established that. Yeah. I can't tell you why you're going through this. I can't tell you why lives get wiped yep. out in a hurricane. I can't yep. tell you why that. But I know how it started. And it didn't start because God was absent. Right. Or malicious. Or malicious. Correct. It started because God 
in all creation, everything has to obey God. Everything has to, because yeah. there's no aspect of love that comes from a tree to God or from a fish to God. Fish swim, birds fly. I mean, they- My they, dog loves me. They, yeah, yeah. You, what you think. <laughs> the, stop feeding these me. things exist to give God glory, but there's no love in it because they are not made in God's image. God is love. Therefore, when he made us in his image, we have an aspect of love that we can use selfishly. Or we can see God redeem in us. But we all know what love is. I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. Sorry. I, <laughs> sorry. You think of a lot of men and women who don't know what love is. Really? He loves me. But he loves me. Oh. All the stupidity justified in that phrase, but he loves me. Yeah, well, that's not love, though. That's right. that's a misunderstanding of the yeah. word love. You can find out what love is. Just look to Scripture, yep. and God will tell you what love or is. We're a good mom and dad. So when we're talking about love in this context— we're talking about the way that love is defined according to God. God created us with the ability to love. You have to say that that's true. If you don't, you've got a problem with the image of God. So with that ability that we have to love, we also have the ability to rebel. Love does not demand. If you're a parent, would you want your child to love you based on your beating them into submission, or would you rather them love you voluntarily? One is not love All and one is. All of this is. is surmising, though. I don't disagree principally. Well, you're asking why God allowed this to happen at the beginning. And it happened at the beginning because the test was, will my image of God, will my image bearers, will they obey me? There was a voluntas. There was a, a voluntary will that they had to rebel against God or to obey God. We still have it today. We pick from the tree almost every day. Right. My issue is I've heard multiple times that defense for the original fall. It was a love test. It was, it has to be voluntary. And yet, like, uh, let's put our theological cards on the table. Sure. Right? You and I are good old Calvinist boys. Yeah. I had no ability to love God. God loved me even when I didn't love him. And my relationship with him is actually, a, it, it all began because he gave me a love I didn't originally have. Mm -hmm. It was one-sided. He chose me. I didn't choose him. And again, our audience, you don't need to agree with Craig and I on that to listen. But even when I go back to the beginning that understanding of why, it very well could be true, okay? Like, I'm not saying it's not true. Because Adam and Eve actually are a different category. They had the ability and capacity. So, you know what I mean? Like, they did not have sin in them at the beginning like you and I did. So, Innocent, not perfect. But at the beginning, maybe it's true that it was a test of love. And in Adam and Eve, they were the, the theological term is the federal head. They were the representative head of the whole human race, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. Even that, I can't find one New Testament or Old Testament concept, and I, I'm literally happy to be wrong on this one. So, like, you may, you're, you, this is one of the things I enjoy about doing this with other pastors who have, like, preached and studied, and is that sometimes you guys bring stuff, and I'm like, ah, I never even, I never even considered that. Wow. But I can't find anywhere where that idea is reinforced. The idea that for love to be true, it must be unhindered. It must be free. It must choose willingly. I get from like a Western American perspective, like that individualistic, we hate arranged marriages. If it's going to be legitimate, I got to choose it and receive it. But I just don't see that. I'm not saying it's not true. Yeah, I would say two things. First of all, God in no way was obligated to love us. Agreed. Right. God created us and was free to love us or trash us, basically. I actually disagree. God was obligated because his nature and character could do nothing else than to love what he made. 
I agree principally with what you're getting at. I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to like. We're getting a little yeah. deep theologically, but I, 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 would, yeah. I would take issue with the word obligated. I'm not sure God was obligated. I think it's in his character to do it, but he wasn't obligated. Yeah. I'm not obligated to breathe, but I must. Right. <laughs> you exactly. know, I have no option not to, right. you know? I mean, I guess I could. In some you, way, I think this is a New Testament principle. In some way, God initiated love to us. Yeah, by making us, for sure. By making us. And by demonstrating his love to us, by giving us grace, by giving us his son, Jesus Christ, yeah. right? You've not loved me, I've loved you first, all that stuff. Pursuing us when we were runners. Yeah, Absolutely. So I think that is the love that I'm talking about. We have this ability, because we're made in the image of God, to mirror that kind of love. Uh, if God created us any other way, it, it would not be love. It would be robot. And even Calvin believed in voluntas. That's how he described it a voluntary ability to choose between one or the other option. After salvation, I agree in that. But before salvation, my will was a slave to sin, and I ran. But uh, we're getting deep theologically even go, more. Let's go. Yeah. But, Some people um, are sleeping. They're driving. Know, they just went off the side of the road. They're like, wow. I, I know. We got to think of a good, Calvin, a good illustration to keep you mean everybody that young up here. son? <laughs> Calvin? What's he have to do with this? Sorry, that's our worship pastor. Calvin Sorry. and Hobbes. Yeah. Oh, oh that no, guy? That, yeah. Oh, I'm all, I'm all in now. Carrying on. Now I forget where we were. Where were we? Oh. Pretty sure I was right and you were wrong. But it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Look, can we, can we like, let's, let's back the train up for a minute. Can we agree on this? There is an agenda and a mind behind God that we don't have the ability to understand how he is morally innocent completely good and yet allows evil. Like that tension between those things, that's like really, like how can you be Agreed. But really Christianity good? will take you further down that road than any other religion. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like if you're a Buddhist, like it's all in your head. It's not real. Like right. that doesn't even make sense, no. you know? And I will say Christianity is the one that faces it the most directly, yeah. the most honestly. Christianity needs to know its limits. And I can say as a Christian, evil exists because of sin, because of Satan. And before that, God allowed it. He could have stopped, but didn't. Even with Job, Job had to know his limits. And I think that's what God did. He put him in his place. And he's just like, you've gone too far. You've given yourself the moral high ground. Uh, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? You know, like, who are you, man? Clothe yourself with splendor and dignity and majesty. It's not even, it's not even logical. And so, I do think that the that the Christian tradition offers the most direct, honest, blunt. It gives on the ground explanations, but it doesn't always make sense of why God. It, I find it almost never makes sense of the bigger totality of what God's doing. And sometimes we jump to this other truism on the on the other end of the spectrum, which is, well, it's all for His glory. Yes, that is true. Um, how how is the murder of an entire tribe that nobody knew existed and nobody will ever know their names bring God glory? That That is a category of, of question I don't have the ability to answer. And so the person, I mean, we came back to this because they said, hey, Michael, that's basically a cop-out. Nice try. And I'm like, well, do you got a better answer? Yeah. Like, you can give me the big one for his glory. That doesn't make sense to me. You can give me the little ones because of sin. Well, yeah, but. I, I just don't feel comfortable leaving people there. I understand there has to be a point where you say, beyond this point, I don't know. But I would even walk down it a little further and say to them, there is a purpose in suffering. Oh, for sure. And Jesus Christ, and this was the other point I was going to make. This is number two. In Scripture, we may not always be told why they're suffering, yep. but we're constantly told how people handled it. 
Oh, yes. And yes, Jesus yes. Christ himself gave us a best illustration because he went head first, eyes open into a world of suffering that he did not create, but we did through our sin. Yep. And he endured all of it, endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. So this is a very truism that we get out of Scripture, that we may not know why we suffer, but we know that there's a reason for it. Always a reason. Everybody who goes through it. That's my first so what. There's always a reason. Everybody who goes through it, we're given illustration after illustration after illustration. Jesus mm -hmm. says, in this world, you have, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus comes in to be our greatest example of how we go through suffering. And here's what I said in church on Sunday, and I, I kind of like it. It's a good tweet. This is the desired outcome for those of us living in a world packed to the brim in suffering. We are to pack it to the brim in the love of Jesus Christ. Mm. That's our job in suffering. It's to run headfirst into other people's suffering. It's so uncomfortable. That's, good. that's a good word. It's so difficult, but that is what Jesus did. And if we're going to be Jesus in a suffering world, that's what we're called to do too. C.S. Lewis said this, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I would agree with all of that. It was good to swap notes and kind of like see where you're going with that mm -hmm. because the Christian runs into it. Nobody God else does. It. No, it's true. People run from they pain avoid. and we're like, oh, it's hard. Let's go. Mm -hmm. I keep coming back to like the question. I think that like that the Explore God series was trying to go after, which is... But it could stop it, and it doesn't. Why? It could. But there's always a reason. There's always a helper. There's always a vindication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a good. That was from your notes. I like that. There's always a restraint. Mm -hmm. One big thing I don't know, which is which is the why, but I can tell you what. I can tell you that he's always with you. I can mm -hmm. tell you that he will make it right. I can tell you that he will judge, um, and it will be just. I can tell you that he's good. I can tell you a whole bunch of things that I know. I just can't answer that one question. Mm -hmm. But that's the question people they want. They don't want just like the simple why or the trite why. They want, no, I want to know specifically, like prove yourself to me. And yeah. I, I just, we can't do it. I think also, and I know we're just dragging this on and on, but I think this is another part of it. Satan will use suffering to drive mm -hmm. you away from God. Yeah, that's true. That's his, that's his whole purpose in doing it. But if we have a clear view of Jesus Christ and we walk by faith and not by sight, suffering will actually draw us closer to his heart. Yep. Uh, and that's the example we see not only with Job, but through all of these men and women in scripture that went through suffering and it pulled them closer to God's heart. Yep. I think we've answered this next question, but uh, how do we come alongside of a friend who is struggling through anger against God for some pain that he has allowed to happen in their life? And uh, I do think that trying to give them an answer, it was probably going to be the most counterproductive thing you could do in that I moment. Know, yeah. And How many times have you gone to a funeral and you'd say, uh, you know, God loves you and yeah. God's got a purpose. In I'd like all to of tell this you why this person died. They died because of blankety blank blank. It's, blank. You know what? <laughs> but it's tough because we don't know what to do in suffering. Yep. We just don't know what to do. It's so awkward. It's just nobody runs into yeah. it except for Jesus. You just keep your mouth shut. You love them. And when it's time to speak, you lead them to the cross. Yeah. I know that's, that is such a cliche to say, but like pain is a time when you're going to be so tempted to just insert yourself with facts and propositions. Mm -hmm. I just find that you got to know the right time. Enter into their pain with them. That's, yeah. that's what we're called to do. Can you, Michael, go deeper on why does God commit atrocities in the Old Testament? We did a podcast on that. In fact, if you search on our website just the word genocide, it should come up. Why does God commit genocide in the Old Testament? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you guys back to that one. Um, how much power does Satan have? It mm. seems that from Job that he can control the weather, other people, tribes, and even our health. Greg, mm -hmm. why don't you go after that one? Well, he can do 
all of those things because God lets him. He can't do anything that God doesn't let him do. And that's where it gets hard to because then you say, okay, then it's God's fault mm -hmm. why this is all happening. And oh, again, yeah. we're back right back to what we've been talking about yeah. this entire time. That's so true. But God will allow Satan. Why, how, do I, how do I know that? Because, because we see it in Scripture. Even in the end times, uh, the Antichrist is going to have the ability to control the weather mm -hmm. in some way. So God is going to give this guy, whoever it is, the ability to do incredible things. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, when Daniel saw what Alexander the Great would do and— um, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, he fainted away because of the atrocities that he was able to see in the future. God allowed him to see. And basically, God could have snuffed him out in the crib, but he didn't. And he even told, you know, hundreds of years before they even arrived, Daniel, what was about to happen. Yeah. I saw this statue and made up of all those different, those different uh, elements. But in the end, the rock comes picture of Jesus Christ from hands or carved without hands destroyed the uh the the um the idol that represented all these great nations that would take over one another and commit these great atrocities. And I think for us that's what we need to focus on too that no matter how much power God gives Satan at whatever point of time I mean the holocaust there was a lot of demonic power going on there. And you might even say there's a lot of demonic power going on now that is blinding eyes of logical people. Why is this going on? I can't answer that. All I know is that we are meant to be light in the dark. That's why God leaves us here. Why doesn't he just pull us out of here? Mm. He leaves us to be light in the dark. And mm -hmm. the darker it gets, the brighter the light. Craig, did evil exist before something or someone could be in opposition to God? No. Evil is not a construct. Evil is a twisting of the good. So if you think of anything that's used for evil, it was created from... God's creation in some way. And somehow we in our fallenness are able to use it in an evil way. Mm. And so if I'm understanding that question correctly, I would say that evil is not something that was created. Evil is a result of the fall. Mm. And we have the ability to do pretty nasty things with the things God created. Yep. Last question. What are the two references for when God has asked why bad things happen? The first one is in Job. That's that's the whole nature of this is Job is upset with God and his friends are trying to figure out the why God has to rebuke his friends and, and ultimately say, uh, you don't know what you're talking about and the answer is too big for you. The second one is in Romans chapter 9. This is actually uh, – it's a. am just going to put all, the, again, all our theological cards on the table. And so God is basically saying, hey, here's how salvation works. I choose people, and they can only believe in me if I choose them. And so the natural response to that is that's not fair. And so basically what happens in Romans 9.19 is that it shows that our tendency is to take the moral high ground and make God report to us, make God vindicate or validate or justify his decisions to us. Like, well, it's not fair. So you're saying somebody goes to hell if God didn't choose them? Like, they didn't, they didn't even have a choice then. That's not, it's not at all fair. The real question is why? Why are you doing this? Why? That's not good. That actually feels very backwards. And really what uh, the Apostle Paul is doing is he's taking a cue from Job and God's response. And he says this, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And then here's what he says. And again, he's literally just taking this from Job. When somebody takes the moral high ground with God, puts him on the defense, and then accuses him of wrong or says you should have done something different, uh, this is what he says. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? It's interesting. Whenever we get to this position in Scripture where we don't understand something, it's really tempting for us to take that moral high ground and make God answer to us as if somehow 
he needs to report to us. Mm. And the answer every time is watch out. Uh, be very careful in that moment. I'm constantly amazed at how quickly we find fault with God and how easily we forget to thank him for the blessings that come our way way more often yeah. than the evil does. Reminds me of a verse in um, Ecclesiastes 5, guard your steps when you go into the house of God to draw near. To listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they don't know they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, mm. let your words be few. It's hard to accept that kind of language uh, if you do not have a relationship with the Lord and put him first. Yep. It's much easier if your first love is Jesus Christ. It's much easier to say, okay, you know what? You are in charge. Mm -hmm. I am not. And to tell you the truth, after being a believer for as many years as I've been a believer, I fully would rather God to be calling the shots than yep. me. All right. I want to invite you all back uh, next time. We're going to answer this question, Craig and I. My 13-year-old grandchild told me she's gay. What do I do? We'll see you next time.